everyone, welcome back to the gray area. Sorry, sorry, I need to start with an apology. It's been too long. It's been a week. I was in Houston, we were at the Super Bowl, things got a little crazy, and unfortunately the podcast had to suffer, but we're back with you this week, and I'm bringing you two interviews that I did while I was in Houston. They were both one-on-ones far away from Radio Row, so this is real exclusive type stuff, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So first I want to bring you an interview with Kirk Cousins, the quarterback of the Washington Pro Football Team. I stopped saying their mascot name a long time ago. Uh, we talk about his contract issue. We talk about uh, the progression that he's made in the league, but also about his former offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan. And more specifically, what is it like the year after Shanahan leaves? And I want to know what it's going to be like for Matt Ryan, the league's MVP, now that his offensive coordinator has left to gone to the San Francisco 49ers. Also stick around for that Cousins interview because we play a little game called You Like That? You Don't Like That, where I ask Kirk a bunch of questions and he says whether he likes that or whether he doesn't, obviously going off his famous line. Then a little bit different interview, I sat down with Super Bowl champion and very outspoken defensive end Michael Bennett. So we talk a little about his brother Martellus being in the Super Bowl. You guys obviously know he won. But we also talk about their family dynamic. We talk about his future and also about some of the more political and um, more social kind of issues that are going on in our country right now. And I thought he was really, as the, what do the kids say? Woke? Yeah. I thought that he was really good on those, on those topics. All right. Here is Kirk Cousins. Let's start with the Pro Bowl. Congratulations on making it. You had the play of the game, which we usually don't talk about the Pro Bowl, but what was the response from the other players after you ran down that interception? Well, I think we were all so engrossed in the game itself that I didn't get much from the players, but I just heard a lot from sideline reporters and from fans and social media after the game. I was surprised, but I, I was just playing and playing instinctively, but uh, I guess in a game it doesn't matter, and with that play pretty much sealing the game, there wasn't much point to try to strip him, but it was just, I did it out of instinct. And a little pride, maybe? Yeah, a little pride. You know, wanted to win and do whatever. I could to maybe give us a chance still, although it was a long shot at that point. I know people were wondering, because you're coming up on such a big year, whether you took a yeah. massive risk, that yeah. obviously did not come into your favor. But. I mean, going into the game, I was concerned about the, the risk for injury and, and what that could mean. But in the moment in that play, you know, I was just playing. At that point, you got to put that out of your mind. And I think if you're thinking about injury during a game, you probably put yourself at greater risk. I can imagine that. You had a tweet during the National Game, which has now been retweeted, I mean, thousands and thousands of times. And it was a picture of Bo Scarborough, the running back for Alabama, and you both in 10th grade. You said, no wonder Alabama didn't call. You know, you right. looked like a 10th grader. You looked really yeah. young. And I know it was funny. It was hilarious. But in some ways, I mean, do you see yourself as an underdog a little bit? Well, I think I was a, I was a late bloomer. And uh, in recruiting so many times, you know, they, they don't go for those guys. Uh, they go for the guys that, that look like Bo Scarborough in 10th grade. I mean, they're, they're well put together. And, and uh, it's easy to recruit those guys, and, and kudos to Michigan State for finding me and being willing to stick with me, even though I maybe didn't look the part right away. And kudos to the coaches who can find those guys who are late bloomers and who end up developing later. And uh, it, it made for a funny side-by-side picture, that's for sure. Like you say, both guys put together. Yeah, he's ripped. Yeah. He's jacked as a oh, as yeah. a tenth grader. It's interesting when we hear from Tom Brady, for example, to this day, the fact that he was drafted 199 is something that he carries with him yeah. all the time. You were taking 102nd. You talk about being a late bloomer, maybe a diamond in the rough. Now you see Dak Prescott, a fourth-round pick. 
how are guys missing on starters like him? I don't know. Uh, I think hype, you know, is a, is a big part of evaluation and public perception a lot of times can, can sway things. Um, and it really takes a, a trained eye of someone who can block out the noise and just watch the film and study the guy and get to know him to try to forecast uh, his potential. But um, it takes a special talent evaluator to, to not just see production, but to see potential. And what a lot of these guys really take to do is to, is to find who has potential, not just good production. And uh, the ones that can see that potential are the ones that have the most chance. When you were drafted, a lot of people thought you were trade bait. How yeah. gratifying is it for you to be the starter and to be a bull? Yeah, um, it's been an interesting journey. I, this NFL is just a, a roller coaster ride, and uh, I try not to get too high or too low, or try to plan things out years ahead. You, you just kind of take it year to year, sometimes just game to game. But uh, uh, it's been an interesting journey. When I was drafted, if someone had said you're going to stay here in Washington, you're going to be the starting quarterback, you're going to be here for five plus years, uh, I would have been shocked. So uh, you know, thrilled with the way things have played out, and now you know, trying to have another five years of success going forward. And, uh, Look at that quarterback room that you've had for those last five years. I mean, RG3, Colt McCoy, not a veteran presence in that room. Who have you been learning from, or who, who do you call on when a situation arises that may be a little bit Well, uh, having the Pro Bowl this past week was a, was a great benefit to me because of Drew Brees being there. And so I really enjoyed this past week being able to pick his brain. He was probably the first uh, veteran, you know, future Hall of Famer that I've been able to be around in, in uh Close, close quarters for a, for a week like that. So, uh, really enjoyed watching him at practice, watching him in the games, uh, studying his his uh, preparation habits, and uh, getting to pick his brain a little bit. So, uh, Rex Grossman was on our team my first couple of years. He's played in the Super Bowl and played about 11 years. So, there was some experience there, but uh, there's no doubt that there's value in having a guy that's been around the block and has started a lot of games. And, and uh, that's why the Pro Bowl is just very valuable. Oh, that just happened. You've yeah. been kind of going at it solo. For all these all these years there's another part too which is just unique to quarterbacks and that comes with the contract stuff nobody is going to know what this is like except for another quarterback that's been through it is that something you talk to breeze about or to someone else oh uh, I, I brought it up with him and just picked his brain because he too was franchise back in san diego he's been through a couple negotiations himself um and he's been through agency as well so he's a great guy to talk to for, for a lot of reasons um but there's no doubt that these quarterbacks are on the league provide uh, great value, not just when it comes to contracts, but just in general. You know, how do you prepare? How do you keep your body healthy? Um, you know, how do you work with your coaches? Um, I just think there's value in asking questions and, and, and learning from guys who have gone ahead of them. Did Breeze give you any advice about the contract stuff that you now will take with you? Um, I think everything he said was pretty self-explanatory, but I think more than anything, it was helpful just to hear his story, uh, what he went through, what was his thought process, how he approached it, and um, and then try to take a similar mindset as I go forward. It's going to be an interesting summer for you. Yeah. What is the biggest factor that you're weighing as you make this decision? Well, I mean, ultimately, I want to win a Super Bowl. I want to win Super Bowls. Um, it's not easy to do, and uh, you need a lot of a lot of good pieces in place around you. And uh, uh, I want to find the opportunity that's, that's best for me to do that. And I think you know, Washington Redskins and every other organization are trying to do the same thing. They're trying to find a quarterback who they feel can do that. So uh, I hope. Flush things out, but uh, that's certainly the focus of both the team and of and myself as a coordinator. Do you want to stay tomorrow? I do under the right circumstances. I think that uh, uh, it'll be a great situation for me. Um, so hopefully we can make it work and uh, see if I can build my pressure. There is a new pressure of playing in DC. Right. We remember in 
forever. You'll be immortalized now for like that. But it was directed at the media. I mean, there is a pressure there. Can you describe it? Um, I think it goes back to, uh, first of all, it's a big market. You know, So whether you're a politician or an athlete, there's going to be uh, a media scrutiny going on in that city. Uh, it's a good thing it played in the media market, too. You know, There's some smaller media market teams that you probably wouldn't want to trade for, even though maybe there'd be a little less pressure. And then there's just such great traditions with the team itself. I mean, uh, one of the first teams in the NFL, uh, three championships, three Super Bowls, uh, so many Hall of Famers having played for the team, that there's high expectations from the fan base. And, uh, so, you know, it, it could be a tough place to play, but welcome to the NFL. I mean, like, there's high expectations everywhere. Just about every fan base feels like the season was a failure if you don't finish with the Super Bowl. So. After living in D.C. myself, I would sometimes describe the Washington football beat is not day-to-day, it's minute-to-minute. That's well said, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, never thought of it that way, but there's no doubt, especially now with social media and everything. Um, I mean, you got to stay up on it, and uh, they're, they're covering my tweets in the off-season, you know, there's articles oh, yeah. being written about it, so there's no doubt about the coverage. Kyle Shanahan, former offensive coordinator, he's getting a lot of credit for Matt Ryan, what we believe is an MVP season, and now the team having a historic offense on Sunday. We presume he's going to be moving on now to San Francisco. What is it like the year after he leaves? In, in Atlanta, you're saying? Yeah, what what was it like for you oh, the year after he left yeah. D.C.? What is that like for a team after he leaves? Uh, it can be tough to replace a coaching staff. There's usually some growing pain in 2014. I feel like we went through that a little bit. Uh, just trying to figure out what the new coach wants, his style. Uh, even though we thought we were ready, I think we just learned some things along the way that, that uh, you have to tighten up. And, and so fortunately, in 2015, we were able to do that. We corrected and, and uh, have been able to have a couple back-to-back winning seasons. So coaching changes can be, can be challenging. But having gone through one now for the first time in my career, uh, I'll be much better prepared going forward. When you watch Matt Ryan, where is Shanahan to you? Uh, I still see this very similar offense to what we ran in, in Washington. Um, obviously, when, when RG3 was the quarterback, there was – or run option plays with the quarterback. But uh, as far as the play action passes, the run game, uh, you know, even the drop back game, some of the concepts, uh, the protections, I, I see it in the same offense. And uh, you know, just very well designed, but also well executed. You know, there's great players that they're protecting well. They have receivers who can win on the outside, two dynamic running backs, and a quarterback that's making great decisions, throwing with accuracy, has a good feel in the pocket, has total command. Uh, and so, it's a beautiful thing where it all comes together. Where is Shanahan's influence? Where is Shanahan's influence in Washington? Well, first and foremost, I feel like not only Kyle but Mike Shanahan, uh, their influence came through their belief in me. Uh, when I came in as a fourth round pick, as we talked about, a little underrated. Uh, it's always been my story, you know, coming out of high school, coming out of college. There's a little bit in my mind of can I do it? Am I good enough? Will I be able to make it? I mean, I wasn't just focused on someday being a starter. I was focused on just making the team, staying in the NFL, and being on the Austin. And Mike and Kyle just instilled a belief in me that someday you're going to be a great quarterback. You can be a starter in this league. We really believe in you. Um, and that's given me a great deal of confidence because, as I said earlier, it's a roller coaster. And there are days where you wonder, you know, am I going to last? And, and the belief that they instilled in me, I think, has helped me a great deal. Uh, Mike said a, a phrase that I always bring up tough times don't let tough people do. So I've always tried to be a tough person as a result of that. And uh, it served me well. When's the last time you had the feeling? I wonder if I can make it in this league. Well, I think 2015, that season, uh, was a defining season for me. I think the You Like That game was uh, one 
all go back to is a moment where maybe I, I proved to myself that uh, I belong and I can do this. And up until that point, you know, maybe there was some doubt. I think I think I believed deep down that it was going to happen if I just kept at it, but uh, uh, it hadn't happened to that point quite to the level I wanted it to. So I think that game against the Buccaneers and that comeback, I said, hey, if I can do that right there, I think I can make it. Now the Shedhead is going to be moving on. John Lynch is going to be taking over as general manager in San Francisco. It's become a news story now that when he's called a few of your games, he's been <laughs> heaping praise on you. Seems like stars may be aligning that they may want you in San Francisco. Time will tell. Typically, you know, announcers are going to heap praise on a lot of players throughout a game. So uh, they know, criticize people. Yeah, they, they do criticize, and, and uh, you know, I mean, he he probably has criticized me too at times. He missed a throw or wasn't good enough here or there. That was why. In the position I'm in, but uh, uh, you know we'll see. Time will tell, and, and uh, ultimately, you know the Redskins hold the cards. And, uh, you know, they made the decision they wanted to make, and uh, every team has to play out. I have to ask you about this game on Sunday. Who sure. do you think wins this game? Well, my heart uh, says the Falcons. Uh, my head says the Patriots. Um, you know, it's hard to go against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady with all their Super Bowl appearances, all their experience, the way they've been playing just this season alone, uh, the dominance that they've shown. Defense is also playing at a very high level. Uh, so well coached. But, boy, you know, like I said, we, we, I, I know Kyle Shanahan. Uh, a couple of my closest friends in the NFL are on the Falcons. I'm going to go with the Falcons and do like them. This is an interesting point in time, though, for Washington. You have a, a lot of free agents. Do you see this as a turning point? Either you guys are going to be all in and sort of try to make it happen in D.C., or people are going to leave and it's going to splinter out. No, I really haven't thought about it until this point. It's interesting now that you mention it. Uh, how many players, you know, could be back, could be leaving, and then what that could mean. I think that it could be that in a few years we look back and, and say that, boy, those decisions that were made in the off season of, of 2017 were uh, so important to define what ended up happening. Um, hopefully, it's all positive, and, and that those decisions are good decisions. And I think the key is to not allow public perception to determine the decisions that, oh, you know, we're going to make a judgment in, in March or April of 2017 as to did we make the right decision. You know, let's let time do its work. I trust the talent evaluators and people in the position to make those decisions. And it's going to take several seasons before we can see the, the results. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're going to do a little speed round okay. called like that, you don't like that. Okay. So I'm going to ask you something. You tell me whether you like that or whether you don't like that. Right. We'll start with your dog, Bentley who is all over your Instagram yeah. and Twitter feed, adorable dog. So I'm sure you heard they are now going to have cats in the Westminster Dog Show. Really? You like that, you don't like that. I don't like that. I'm not a cat guy to begin with, and I'm, I'm it's the Westminster Dog Show. So let's keep dogs in the show. We heard you're a great singer. You were in a band with some <laughs> high school friends at a time, at one time. Karaoke. You like that, you don't like that. You know, I really don't like it. When I go to restaurants and karaoke's playing, I never really step in and get involved. Uh, it's fun to watch other people make a fool of themselves, but I stay out of it. So I'm going to say I don't like that. You have no go-to karaoke song? <sighs> Not right now. Not right now. I know. I, I just, uh, yeah, I don't like to make a fool of myself in public. Funny, the man who's the, the leader of a 53-man roster, Washington, D.C., one of the biggest franchises ever, does not want to get up and do karaoke. <laughs> Driving on the Beltway, you like that, you don't like that. I don't like that. Uh, oh, my goodness. 495, 
rough. Uh, 495 North, especially at rush hour, is rough. So I try to avoid avoid that like the plague. Well, you drive a pretty unique van. <laughs> uh, don't really say that a lot, uh, and I don't think I'm ever going to say what I'm about to say ever again. But what's the coolest thing in your van? The coolest thing in my van is a 11 inch TV. I wanted the 15 inch. My wife said it was too big, and uh, it folds down. It's got the DVD player, and uh, that's got to be the nicest feature. I'm thinking about putting in a throwback N64 in the back and being able to hook it up with the TV and then that movie. Okay, maybe contract comes. You upgrade Amen. the van. Amen. There you go. Uh, playing in foreign countries, you like that? You don't like that? It's a great question. Uh, I see the benefits of both sides. I'm going to say I like it. It was a cool atmosphere. I, I think the fan base there really loves their football. I mean, the game was sold out. Uh, they cheer like crazy. It's a great market. It's a unique city in London. Uh, I think when you look at so many companies around the world, it, it had to grow and go globally. So I think it's inevitable. I'm going to say I like it. Final one for you. You live in Washington, D.C. Lots going on right now. Protests. You like that? You don't like that? Well, I like it because I think it's, a, it's our right. Oh, as, as citizens, uh, you know, if you don't like protests and you've got a problem with it, then uh, you know, you've got to check the Constitution and what it says and what our country's built on. So uh, I'm going to say I like it. I like the people who are ex exercising free, the right to free speech. And, uh, it's a great country, but we have the ability to do that. All right. Thank you. Okay, so one question that I did not have enough time to ask Kirk about in the you like that, you don't like that game was Thursday night football games. So afterwards, I said, Kirk, I actually had one more for you, and it was Thursday Night Football. You like that? You don't like that? And he goes, oh, I wish you had asked me that one because I do not like Thursday Night Football. Okay, so that Thursday night was actually a little tricky. They had a Sunday night game against the Packers, and then it was Thanksgiving the next week where they played the middle of the three Thanksgiving games. So Kirk Cousins said, we played Sunday night late against the Packers, then we played an afternoon game on Thursday. Yes, it is Thanksgiving, but still a Thursday. And he said, I don't like that because at that point in the season, guys are banged up every off day and every day you have in between games is just so important. And he said that that type of schedule is just with those games that are so important, the schedule can't be that much of a turnaround. It can't be that short with off days, especially at that point in the season because you have guys who are injured, banged up, and they need more time to rest. So unfortunately, it didn't make it into the piece. But in case you are wondering, Thursday night football. Her cousin does not like that. Okay, here is my interview now with Michael Bennett of the Seattle Seahawks. We start with a little Super Bowl talk because his brother Martellus just won with the Patriots, um, and then we go on from there. What does your brother ask you about this week? Uh, just asking about the media obligations, the, you know, what's the best things to do to get prepared for the game. I just kind of just give him my own take on it. What was your thing? Don't get caught up in too many events. Do something on Monday and then just relax the rest of the week because once you win, you get the rest of the year to enjoy it, you know. So just focus on the game and that, let that be the most important thing. Your former defensive coordinator is now coming up with a game plan to stop your brother. Yeah. What can you tell your brother about what this game plan is likely to include? It's funny because he used to make the game plans for me to wreck the game. Now he's making game plans to stop the, the dude that could wreck the game. So I'll just tell my brother to be prepared to get jammed off the line or something to get some double coverage and probably, probably, you know, 
that'd probably be the most safety safety over the top and linebacker help. Will you talk in depth X's and O's before this game, or do you keep it mostly light conversation? I talk X's and O's if I can give some advice, you know. And um, I, I want them to win. I can't sit here and say I'm not. I'm not biased. I am biased. Of course, you want him to win, but do you want him to win more than you wish you were playing in this game? No, <laughs> but since I'm not playing, I want him to win even more. Do you think he'd say the same if the roles were reversed? I think so. You guys just have that kind of relationship. The Mannings. Serena and Venus, these great sports siblings. Are you and Martellus going to be in that conversation when all is said and done? Uh, I, I hope so. I hope that we get, um, or, or we feel like we are already, but of course it has, the media has to tell you what you are for it to be true, right? Is that right? Uh, you the media, I'm asking you. <laughs> You know, I'm curious what you think about that because we always believe that guys don't really pay attention to what the media says because you always tell us you're not paying attention to what the media says. You might think guys are paying attention to what the media says because ultimately the media makes the decisions on things like the Hall of Fame, things like the Pro Bowl, or all, all pros. So it's like, I think guys have to pay attention just a little bit. But for us personally, I feel like we already are two of the best siblings that we play. If you're writing your own legacy, what is it right now for you? My legacy, personally, is just, it's not even the sports. I feel like a legacy in sports kind of shorthanding you. So I feel like if you die and all they talk about is things that you did on the field, like, well, he had a 20 sacks in one season. I mean, records are meant to be broke. I think it's mostly about how you, what you do off the field and how kids see you, how you plant the seed for change, what you do in the community. And I think if that's the case, then I have a great legacy. You have three daughters. Oldest one is nine. Ten. Ten years old now. How do you explain to her what's been going on the last couple of weeks in the country? Um, I mean, for me personally, I'm I'm a black man, so I'm used to the controversy and the, what's going on in America. I mean, it's like 400 years of you know oppression, but that's a whole other story. But how do I explain what's going on now? I just told her, you know, things happen. Some things you can't control, but what you can't control is the way you attack every day, the way you treat people, how can you make a better difference in life? And if you do that, then you can make the world great. And if you can have that rub off on somebody else, and then there's two people that think great, and two people touch two more people, that's four, you know, it's four, then it just multiplies, and everybody creates a great um, habit. And I think for kids, if they see, if they don't see color, if they see exactly what people are, how they really react, if they respect, respect other people's culture, then I think the world will be in better hands. You see a power struggle that's happening in our country right now. You talked about a power struggle that happens between the league and the players. You see parallels? I see a lot. I see there's always a system and there's always people that are being oppressed by the system. So that's just the way that life is made, you know. So there's always some kind of struggle for people to, you know, to get by. It goes all the way back to the Bible with Moses and Egypt. I mean, it's just one of those things where people are always trying to, you know, beat the system. And the system is in place to keep people in certain places. And... You know, the NFL is a business, and the thing, the bottom line is the money has to be made. And for us, we're human beings, and we have to figure out how we stay safe and how we live a long life. And, and for society, it's like, how do people get a chance to, you know, really obtain the American dream? And that's a hard thing to do these days. In the way that you talk about legacy and about the future, and it sounds like the future, not just the present, I mean, is there any thought to 
maybe running for office one day or trying to get yourself involved in that? I, I people always tell me that, but I think um, I think I could do more work not being in office. I think once you get into office and your your creativity is very limited because now once again you're stepped into a place where your ideas are going to be confined about what the system is and. If you can work outside the system and being able to make change, I mean, Martin Luther King wasn't a politician, but at the same time, he made change. You know, there's a whole bunch of people, Marcus Garvey, all these people that made great change in American history that weren't politics, you know, politicians. And so I feel like if you're outside the system, you get a better chance. And I think people respond to you just a little bit better because they know ultimately you have their 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 heart. And the most is the most important decision for you is how to make change for them. Yeah, maybe their best interest in mind. Yeah. We saw, obviously, you guys linking arms, even at the Pro Bowl, seeing that all season, uh, obviously, Colin Kaepernick taking the, these uh, statements and ideas about these statements. After you've seen what's gone on in our country the last two weeks, has it changed your mind about what a protest could be, how big it could be, and how influential it could be? I mean, I think protesting is a part of change. I think if you look at every situation in the time periods of history, 1940s, if it's 1920s, the 60s, people are in protest. They're not going to war, not going to war again. The women at work, it's like these are things that people do to make sure that they're being heard. And I think protesting is super important, especially when it's nonviolent, because you get like-minded people together in the room that all feel the same way. And I think as players, we have to make sure that everybody's on the same thing. And I think when you are in a situation where you feel like you are you empowered because you have money and you have access to life, you tend to forget about the people behind you that don't have the access. And for us, we have to constantly either build a bridge or build a pipeline. And that's where our protest has to be um, as athletes. And we have to continuously plant the seed, but we also need the media's help to, you know, help portray us in the way that we really are. I think sometimes as an athlete, people only care about the touchdowns and things that you do on the field. And the media has to do a better job, which is you, and um, which is just, United States, the CNNs, everybody, of talking about the things that athletes do that are different, the things that they do in the community. How do they treat their wife? Because as soon as somebody hits their wife or doesn't play that, it's the biggest story in the world. But if there's a guy in the community changing 20 lives, it's the smallest story in the world. And those are the kind of stories that kids have to start falling in love with, not the touchdowns, because that's what they that's what they tend to love. But you have to get them to understand that planting the seed of change is super important. How do we make that relationship better? I mean, how do you make the relationship with the media to dust up with a reporter after the NFC Divisional round? How do we make that relationship stronger? I think we make, just to understand that, I think more you know, media has to understand athletes. And the athletes have to understand media. I think it's, at some point in time, there's two people trying to do their job, but how do we compromise? How do you compromise what you feel is your integrity, what's important, and how do I compromise my integrity, what I feel like is important? At some point in time, we have to talk and be like, you know what, this is a story that really needs to be told. And every once in a while it happens, but it needs to happen just a little bit more. Just talked to your brother at Media Day, and he was asked whether he would boycott a trip to the White House if the Patriots win the Super Bowl. He said flat out, absolutely, he would. Um, do you share that same sentiment with him? I, I sure. I mean, I have to. I mean, I, I mean, for me, I can't sit back and say that that I, I don't see what's going on. I think it's super important that we don't forget that, um, that America is was made up of made up of immigrants, you know. So we have to make sure that as people we don't forget the struggle that what somebody else is going through because at one time it was us. So, you know, I probably wouldn't go either. What kind of statement would that be? I think it would be an important statement, but I think it comes back to there would be some people who pull in and it would never be a complete solidarity. And I think solidarity is 
is the what is important to make something really work. We would have to be everybody making one thing and everybody making the same choice. And if one or two people do it, yeah, it makes a splash. But when we do it together as a league or we do it together as players, it'll really make change. Ask you about the Seahawks. Seem like from the outside this year, there was a turning point when Al Thomas went down with his injury. Now you've got a couple weeks to digest it. You were obviously in it. Was it that? Was it more than that? Why are you not playing the Super Bowl? Why am I not playing the Super Bowl? I think uh, as a player, we just got to demand more from each other. I think once we get to a certain part of success where everybody's had this much success and we've had this doing so much, we can't forget the process. And the process is super important. And when you bring young guys along, they want them going for the journey of the process. So it's like we have to remind them that this is a game and this is a game of you have to, you know, keep raising your game up and game up. And I think we as players have to do a better job of bringing the younger players up. I think that's why we're not in the Super Bowl right now. Also, too, you know, Dan Quinn and the Falcons are a great team. I think they did a great job of game planning us. They did a great job of uh, understanding where the holes in our defense would be because obviously he's helped one of the architects of why we had so much success when he was here. And uh, I think that's why. Did you lose to the best offense you've ever played? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we lost to some teams that won. We lost to the Rams. Maybe not a good offense. Like, I mean, when you, I mean lost, when you lost to the Falcons, was that the best offense? Ever? Um, I don't know. The Broncos were pretty good when we played on the Rams. Um, yeah. We beat them. Sound like but they were still good. Uh, and I, but at that time, we had a whole bunch of, I mean, our second string DB when they got a $60 million deal. You know what I'm saying? So it's like one of those things where we had a lot of players that were uh, a part of that journey. Martellus is going to be a free agent. Would you lobby to have him come and play with you in Seattle? I'd love for him to come play in Seattle. But, you know, I think the Patriots are a great fit for him. I think Belichick is a great coach for him because Belichick understands this is a guy who comes into work, who works really hard and wants to be the best at his craft. But also he has this creative side about him. And I think he finally found the coach that would let him do his creative thing and not think just because he's being creative, he's not putting in the same amount of work as somebody that thinks they're putting in work because – Coaches can easily be fooled. I mean, they can easily be fooled with a guy that can say this and that. But when you look on the field, it's what he's really doing. I think Belichick's been a great coach and mentor for him at this point in his career. Would you like to ever play for Belichick? I mean, I know you're out of contract for a long, long time. But he, you, no, know, you and your brother seem similar from the outside. Yeah, I love to play for Belichick. I think Belichick is a coach that knows how to use his players and use his assets. And I think I'll be a great asset to be used me. So I think uh, no, anybody would love to play for Belichick. Can we do some quick? With word association things with you, fill in the blanks. Yeah, yeah. Here's a fill in the blank. I want to take Marshawn Lynch too. I want to take Marshawn Lynch um, to Morocco. I think he had fun in Marrakesh. I think it would be fun to take him out there and have a monkey jump on his okay. back. I think he would be overwhelmed if he went to the Medina and saw everybody at night. It would be fun. Tom Brady plays like? Tom Brady plays like Tom Brady. I think he is. He is Tom Brady. I think when kids go to the field, they say, I want to be Tom Brady. So he doesn't play like anybody. He just plays like himself. Super Bowl, the Super Bowl feels like? Super Bowl feels like um, sex. I think just to be completely honest. But Even when you lose? <laughs> Sorry, should I not have brought that up? Yeah, it doesn't feel the same. But when you win it, then. <laughs> Just made a lot of people really jealous out there. <laughs> the most interesting thing about Russell Wilson is? Um, his wife. No, I'm joking. Russell Wilson, I think the most interesting thing about Russell Wilson is how he um, does all the stuff that he does in the community and how he finds time to 
be able to do all the stuff that he does. I think I know he's a busy man with all the stuff that he does with, you know, his marketing, his commercials, his businesses, and I'm like, dang, you still find enough time to give back. Is his wife the most popular wife in the locker room? Yeah, I think so. By a long shot? Uh, I don't know by a long shot, uh, but yeah, I think so, though. The funniest thing Pete Carroll ever said is? Uh, he always brings his three-legged dog in, and he always says, a three-legged dog. He always does this about a time when everybody starts to get hurt a little bit, and everybody's nicked up, and guys don't want to go out, and he starts to bring this topic about this three-legged dog, as this three-legged dog always competes, and it don't matter if it has three legs, it's still going around. So, you were injured this year. Yeah. You had to come back and presumably play through quite a bit of pain. Yeah. When you hear about a three-legged dog, I mean, does that give you any type uh, of solace, or does that make you frustrated? Just, I think it's stupid, but he really likes it. So it's his thing, but I don't see that as being important. In the future, I hope Roger Goodell... Oh, Roger Goodell finally says that players should have guaranteed contracts. I think the players have done everything to prove that they are worth the contracts. I think there's a lot of talk that guys will shut down, the injury rate is too high, but we all know the injury rate is too high, but then at, at the end of it, guys should be paid guaranteed contracts. So I think that's where the next generation, I mean, if you talk about legacy and you talk about future, I think that's where we as players now have to make sure that, you know, like with Franco Harris and all these guys, you know, Alan Page and all the greats, you know, Young United, all those guys, they all set up these moments for us to be successful and, I think for us to prove to give back, it would be to make sure that those guys and those kids that come after us will get a guaranteed contract. I don't agree. I think Thursday night football. I think Thursday night football sucks because Phil Sims is terrible on there. But I like Phil. But he's just, he's not the type of guy I would like to be on the date with if I was a woman. <laughs> I mean, but, uh, you take his criticism that person? No, he's just, he's just boring. Oh. <laughs> he's just boring. Maybe one day you'll replace him in the booth? I'm pretty sure I will. So it's going to be a career in broadcasting for you? I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, I would be. I'm pretty sure that I could do TV. I don't know what it's going to be, but I don't know. We look forward I, to that. I would have like a, a morning show, like a, like not like football, but like the Today. Not like Today Show, but more like Ellen Show. Or I Steve can see Harvey. you in that show. Or Steve Harvey. Like, you, you get do, a car. Yeah. You get a car. No, you get a book. You get a book. We all get trips to Disney World. Right now, look under your seats. There's tickets to Disney World. What's the one thing you'd want to give out? Um, I want to take all people to Prodigy for one thing. Everybody go out there and they get to see how people really live. I think people, I'll take kids and parents and everybody will start appreciating life a lot more. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. I appreciate you. So those are my interviews with Kirk Cousins and Michael Bennett. Thank you guys so much for listening and really appreciate Alan Kim putting this all together. Also, some of my SI Now and PFN crew and just the SI video team like Dave Sepperson and Ben Teitelbaum, thank you guys so much for um, helping me get this audio from some of those interviews. Alex Hample, Will Pyle, of course, Josh Roshinsky, Tom Mansoranis. We just had a really good time when we were in Houston. So appreciate you guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hit me up on Twitter if you want to get in touch at Maggie Gray. Did I already thank Alan Kim? Okay, great. I'll thank you again, Alan Kim. You're the best. We'll see you next week on The Gray Area.